This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. The English Digital Online Sales have changed the landscape of mixed Australian thoroughbred sales forever. Now, rather than wait for a mixed sale through the ring, owners, breeders and vendors can offer their product within a matter of days thanks to the twice-monthly English Digital Online Auctions. English now presents an online auction in the middle of each month and another at the end. Since going twice monthly, the auction has averaged around 150 lots per sale and has exceeded a million dollars per sale with a clearance rate of almost 80%. To enter a horse or register a bid, visit englishdigital.com and follow the prompts or call 9399-7999. It was great to catch up with top jockey Craig Newitt during the Kalgoorlie Boulder Cup Carnival last week. Craig was a special guest of the Kalgoorlie Boulder Race Club for the two-day meeting and not surprisingly, he was in keen demand with local trainers. He had a total of 16 rides over the two days for five winners, one second and five thirds, and his remaining five rides all finished in the top five. Craig is regarded as one of the strongest riders in the business, and that attribute was very evident at Kalgoorlie. Few Australian jockeys have ever boasted a stronger pedigree than Craig knew it. His mum was a successful jockey who initially rode under her maiden name of Virginia Wells and later under her married name. His late dad, Guy, was an outstanding horseman who for several years was one of Tasmania's best jumps jockeys. Craig's apprenticeship began under his father, who had only four horses in work, and he later transferred to Leon Wells at Devonport. Young Newitt made an immediate impact, winning an apprentice's title in his first year, followed by a jockey's premiership while still an apprentice. He was stunned when he received a phone call from Lee Friedman offering him an opportunity in his powerful Caulfield stable, a phone call that would launch young Newitt on his way to the upper echelon of Australian jockeys. At 34, he boasts a CV of almost 2,000 winners, 33 Group 1s and a major win at Royal Ascot. He's back in his home state of Tasmania these days, a move that surprised a lot of people. Let's find out why he made such an unexpected move at this stage of his career. Craig is online from Devonport to join us on the podcast. Thanks for your time, Froggy. No worries, John. Great to catch up in Kalgoorlie last week. You know, uh, it didn't occur to me until uh, I sat down at the table for lunch alongside you and Bree that you and I had never officially met. Yeah, exactly right. Um, yeah, it was, was a privilege and an honour to share the day with you, mate. And um, Yeah, it was good to get a couple of winners up there, so it's something that, um, that I'll cherish for a long time. Gee, you were busy over the two days, 16 rides, but it was worth the trouble. Yeah, absolutely. I was, uh, I was just, just humbled to, to get the call up to from the um, from the turf club to, to be their, their special guest for the weekend and, yeah, managed to pick up a couple of nice rides and, and ride a few winners. So, 
my first get my first trip to Kalgoorlie was successful, and hopefully the uh, the first of many. Tell me about the track. It appeared to have a terrific coverage of turf. Was, was it as good as it looked? Outstanding, mate. Um, I was I was really surprised. I thought being sort of out in the middle of the desert a little bit, um, mm. it might have might have been a bit firm. But to the uh, curator and the track staff's credit, um, it was prepared. Absolutely outstanding and raced accordingly. Mm. Well, three years ago, after 16 terrific years in Melbourne, you decided to return to your beloved Tasmania and the lovely city of Devonport in the north. What prompted such a big decision? Uh, Johnny, look, I've, I've got four young boys now um, and the workload that I was doing in Melbourne was just I wasn't uh, I wasn't spending as much time with my boys as, as I would have liked, um, so I decided to not so much put racing on the back burner, but I decided to uh, bring my boys forward and put them at the forefront. So I was always I was always um, letting everyone know that I'm still available to fly back. Uh, I mean mm. these days these days now you get a tailwind; it's only a thirty minute flight, so. It's um it's not work it's it's hours away but um back here we only race one this time of year maybe twice a week um and it just gets, frees me up to to do the kids activities the kids sports and something that I grew up and really cherished with my father um is what I wanted for my boys. Back to the early days, your dad got a trainer's license. And he found four ordinary horses simply for you to gain experience, and they were pretty slow, weren't they? Yeah, they were, mate. Um, he did the best he could with what he had. Um, he he only had a uh, the old Kingswood and the double horse float. We used to travel them twenty thirty kilometres each day back and forth to to work them, get them worked, and mm. yeah, they were they were only average. They were more like pets than anything. Um, mm. But he he got them and. He just raced them as much as he could just to, to give me experience and I've got no doubt um, without without the upbringing that I had and and what he what he did for me early in my career, there's no, no way in the world I would have been where I am at this stage. You were telling me that uh, those four horses of Dad's would invariably get back to the tail of the field and you had to scrub them up a bit. You learned to ride one along. Yeah, I think that's where I got my vigour from. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can can probably uh, can probably put that one down to the old man giving me the, the horses to ride. But um, look, it, it was something that I really enjoyed, and um, unfortunately we didn't come across a good one. But um, I did manage to ride a winner for him, which I hold uh, very high in um, in the greatest like good achievements that I've had. So mm. I managed to pluck one uh, one for him, and yeah, it's something that I'll never forget. You made a very low-key start to your riding career in September 2000 at the Mowbray Track in Launceston. You rode a mare called Dundas Street. There were nine runners and you ran ninth. <laughs> it was a far cry from Royal Ascot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, for a good, very good friend who I started riding track with at 12 or 13, Terry Rolls. Um, he, uh, I'd go and ride sort of seven or eight for him in the morning, go to school, and then go back to the stables in the afternoon, do the afternoon shift with him. Um, mm. 
he played he played a major key to to the start of my career as well, Terry. And um, yeah, he gave me a couple of couple of rides early just to kick me off. And yeah, it um, wasn't a great start. I think it took me sort of mid thirties to ride my first winner. But um, <laughs> I, I I just uh, like to think of it as just all experience. <laughs> now that winner, that first winner, was in a maiden plate at Elwick in Hobart on a mare called Kimbra's Way, trained by John Luttrell. Yeah, it was, mate. Uh, never forget it either. I mean, they uh, they say you never forget your first. And I remember he'd been telling me all week it's uh, it's a sit and steer, sit and steer. And I remember I had to pull the persuader. I was thinking about the, the thousand metre mark. I think it was only twelve hundred metre race, so it wasn't a sit and steer. But um, we got the job done, and uh, yeah, thankfully that was the first of many. Well, you hit your straps very quickly after you transferred your apprenticeship to Leon Wells. In fact, you had an amazing 18 months. Yeah, I did. Um, that, that, that's really where my career springboarded, um, sort of moving from dad having his four or five horses to a stable of 50 or 60 and, and a couple of handy horses too. Um, once the winners started to flow, like everything, um, people started to jump on board and he, uh, he, he was a big, uh, big contribution to where I am today, Leon. Um, mm. he, he'd put me on in no claiming races. He'd put me, put me on in the biggest races we had in Tassie at the time when I was still claiming. So to get that exposure and get those winners under my belt, um, was a huge, uh, huge influence on my career. When that phone call came from Lee Friedman, I imagine there were two reactions from you. Excitement at the prospect of joining such a high-profile stable, and apprehension at the thought of leaving home. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was still reasonably young at that stage. Um, sort of lived with my parents for most of well, all my life up until that stage, until I went to Leon, um, and then Leon was only sort of half an hour from where Mum and Dad were living, so. Mm. It was more or less, uh, I was still living at home, basically. Um, so the, the move to go to Melbourne um, was something that I was a little bit uh, wary of. Um, and at the time, I'd already had a couple of offers from smaller trainers, but um, Leon sort of put them on the back burner until this offer came. But it, and it was obviously too good, a, too good of an offer to refuse. And as I did... Uh, all, all my life, I, I sat down and had a good talk to my my father at the time, and he said it's just it's too good an opportunity. You, you have to go. So yeah. I um packed the bags and uh, and moved over. But didn't Mum and Dad uh, make a supreme sacrifice by selling out and packing their own bags and joining you in Victoria? Yes, they did. Um, and I've got no doubt. Um, I wouldn't uh, wouldn't be here today without um, the support that Mum and Dad gave me. They um, they sold their house, they they packed up, they moved everything from Tasmania to Victoria so that um, I was more comfortable. Um, and I'd like to think that they they had uh, they had the faith in me to do that, knowing knowing my abilities. So um, it was just uh, a very rewarding and and uh, sort of sort of um, just just pleasantly relieved that I could have the success to reward them. Exactly, to justify all of the trouble they went to. Absolutely. 
You only spent about 18 months as an apprentice with the Freedman Stable, in which there were many winners and the inevitable disappointments. Now, Lee's not noted for his diplomacy when he's dissatisfied with a ride. Overall, how did you get on with him? I got on with him really well. Um, didn't, uh, not that I can recall, did we ever ever have a um, an argument as such? Obviously, you let me know when I, when I rode one bad, which it's all trainers do. Um, but the, the, the good thing about Lee was he, he quickly moved on. Um, yeah. He's he's as good a businessman as, as I've ever seen. Um, so you make a mistake, he lets you know, and you move on. So I... Um, my time with Lee was um, was something that I'll never forget. Your first Group 1 was a memorable occasion. It was the CFO Stakes of 2006 on an interesting mare called Perfect Promise, whose racing career actually started in South Africa. Then she came to Sydney uh, to Graham Begg, who won a Group 2 race with her, and then on to Lee Friedman. Now, you didn't get the ride until the day before the race. That must have been a pleasant surprise. Yeah, it was. Um, being a young, sort of inexperienced in, in these Group 1 races, um, yeah, it was nice to uh, to get get the call from Lee to say that I could um, could ride her, knowing that um, she was going to be a good chance in the race. Um, yeah, it was a, a big thrill. And then, um, obviously, to uh, to get her over the line, um, yeah, once again, it's something that I'll, I'll never forget. She came from well back in the field, Craig, and she beat a horse called Lad of the Manor, and the one that ran third went on to great glory on the turf, Fields of Omar. Yeah, exactly right. She beat a star-studded field, and, um, yeah, look, she, she sat back sort of midfield. The speed was nice, and, um, yeah, once she turned for home, we hooked it in the middle of the track. She let rip, and... Um, yeah, home she went. Like I said, she beat a couple of she beat she beat a good horse in Ladder of the Manor and a superstar in Old Fruit. Um, went on to win a couple of Cox plates. We'll just pause for a moment on the podcast to clear a commitment. Back with Craig Newitt after this. The song is gone, but the melody lingers on. Another unforgettable Everest day is over, but the carnival continues on Saturday, October 26th with the new $1 million Bondi Stakes for the three-year-olds. Co-features are the Group 3 Niverson and the time-honoured City Tats Club Cup. The carnival rolls on to November the 2nd when the four-year-olds take centre stage as the Golden Eagle soars high over Rose Hill Gardens with its $7.5 million purse. The $1 million Redzel stakes will be a spectacular co-feature. Then out of town to beautiful Broadmeadow at Newcastle for the $1 million Hunter of 1,300 metres November the 16th, followed a week later by the Gong, another $1 million feature over the Kembla Mile. Racing fans have never seen a spring like this one. My special guest is Craig Newitt. The lowest point in your riding career came in 2004 when you were embroiled in a long-running case after the running of a horse called Leone Chiara at Sandown. Now, the horse finished unplaced. Trainer Danny O'Brien expressed dissatisfaction with your ride and that inquiry went on for months and months. Uh, many other people were called for questioning 
and there were several disqualifications, including yourself, for 18 months. The charge for giving misleading evidence. Pretty tough stuff for an 18-year-old, Craig. Yeah, it was pretty brutal, mate. And, uh, yeah, it's something that you just look back on and and, um, is a part of life, I suppose. It's a part of growing up. Uh, I was relatively young at that time. And, um, yeah, obviously everyone makes mistakes. And I think my my biggest disappointment was that that, um, the people that I love so much had to to go through it. Um, it It's not something that I'm proud of. It's not something that... I even really look back on now. It's just a, a, a thing that happened in, in, in my career and um, I think you, you, you move on. Um, it's just one of those things that unfortunately um, come along, uh, but in saying that, probably come along, had it come along later in my career, uh, I may not have bounced back from it, but um, from mm. the day that I was, I was disqualified, I was always very adamant, very upfront that I was going to come back and, um, yeah, just get back to where where I was. You were 18 years old. Uh, you were sidelined for 18 months. You loved your racing so much at that time. I mean, you still do. Uh, but back then, you would have been climbing the wall for 18 months. Mate, I... <laughs> from the day that I was, I was disqualified, I just... I, had it, I remember I had a calendar and I was just ticking the days off, days off, days off. And the first... The first Little bit because I because I was flat out into the into the game, and I was going day 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 riding every day. Um, the mm. the first the first period was was like a little holiday, um, but I'd say probably the last twelve months was really especially when those bigger races come around, knowing that you should be there, you should be competing, you should be you should be in the limelight, you should be um, mm. you should be at the top of your game, um, and yet here you are sitting on the couch watching him. Um, yeah, put everything in, into perspective. Um, but, uh, yeah, we came out the other side of it, um, and I'd like to think I've been pretty successful since. In 2007, an amazing mare came into your life. Miss Andretti had won nine races in Western Australia before coming to the Freedman Stable, where she was destined to win another ten now, Friedman had moved to his property at Rye by this time, so you never got to Rye to work, Craig. No, I didn't. I didn't at, at that stage. Um, Scotty Scotty McGee was the foreman at the time at um, at the FBI, the Friedman brothers, and um, he did majority of her her, her riding. Um, but in saying that, he he used to ride super imposed. He used to ride all three of his good ones. So. I wasn't uh, too disappointed not to be able to ride at work. I just got to sit on the Ferrari race day, and um, yeah, she was she was she she's she's something that jockeys dream to to be able to ride. Um, mm. I mean, to to win the amount of races she did, um, and win the quality of races she did. Um, yeah, she she was a very special mare. Before we talk about her great achievements, and I don't think anybody will be offended. We should establish that her great ability wasn't matched by her temperament. No, no, absolutely <laughs> not. She was, she was a cranky little thing. Um, <laughs> she, uh, she just had this. She, she was a nice little mare, but she just had a little mean streak in her. Um, yeah. If, if she got it, if she got her off guard and got a bit upset, she'd let you know. She'd mm. either, she'd bought, 
she'd bite your fingers off or um, she, she'd definitely let you know. But, um, yeah, I think all good mares, all good mares, most of the really top, top line mares like Sunline and that, mm. they've got a little bit of dirt in them. So um, when they can gallop like they do, you, uh, you sort of put that to the side a bit, I think. Of course you do. You make allowances. Absolutely. Now, you rode a 15 times all up for nine wins, five of which were Group 1s. And the first of your Group 1s on Miss Andretti was the 2006 Manicato Stakes. Yeah, it was. Um, she was. She was really good. Um, she sort of sat behind and she used to she used to be a she had a great uh, great attribute was she used to be able to sit on on a really hot speed and and just have an explosive turn of foot um, and she had a really good liking for Mooney Valley she used to ping off that camber around the corner and um, at the time there there wasn't a horse that could match her her uh, sprinting ability so I used to just have to get her out of the gates because she used to be quite cranky in the gates and. Once you sort of went the first couple of furlongs and you got into a rhythm, if you knew if you were within striking range at the top of the straight, there wasn't a horse around at the time that could match her. So uh, it was just a matter of uh, giving her a bit of fresh air and um, letting her show her, her true qualities, what she could do. Yeah, she could really dash. In the autumn of 2007, she was unstoppable. She won the Lightning Fresh Up, then the Australia Stakes, then the New Market after which arrangements were put in place to have her flown to the UK for two races at Royal Ascot. When did you find out you were going to be her jockey in England? Um, probably found out after her last Australian run, um, when, the, when they notified that I knew she was going, but I didn't realise that I was going with her. Um, and they're uh, just uh, very humbling and, and very privileged to be in a position to be asked to go and, and ride, um, well, it probably is the biggest the biggest carnival in the world. Um, it's definitely the most prestige. And I think at the time I was, I was still relatively young. I sort of didn't, didn't uh, encapsulate how big of an occasion it was. Um, I knew how big of an occasion it was when I come back to scale and I saw Lee standing there in tears um, for a man that I don't think, cried much in his life um i think uh he i think he i think he's uh i think his words was he's waiting his whole life to um to do what she just done so to be to be a part of it now that i'm a little bit old a little bit wiser um it's something that i'm very fond of there's a famous piece of television footage showing lee friedman's reaction up in the grandstand as they went over the line in the king stand stakes I don't think McIvy Deba's third Melbourne Cup win gave him a bigger thrill. Yeah, I think I think you're right there, mate. He, um, yeah, it's um, and and like I said, now now I sit back and look at it. Um, for someone that's well, there's only probably one better trainer ever, in my in my opinion, than than Lee, and that was um, that was probably Bart Cummings. Um, for someone as big as him to get that reaction. And have that response to it, um, yeah, very, very privileged to be a part of it. She went fresh up into the Kingstand Stakes over five furlongs, and that suited her down to the ground. You were amazed when you went out onto the course proper by the amazing undulation 
the uphill and down dale of the Ascot track. Couldn't believe it, mate. Um, dead set, could not believe that a racetrack could be built like that. Um, <laughs> you stand at the winning post and you can't even see the barriers and it's a straight race. Um, mm. It was just up and up and down. Every sort of furlong was down or, or you, were, you were on an incline up uphill. Um, mm. So, yeah, they, they do an amazing Amazing job the jockeys do um, to um, ride that day in, day out. Um, and, yeah, I was just lucky enough that I had a, a bulletproof mare that was able to um, handle it. Well, there were 20 runners in the race, and to this day you say she was never going to get beaten. She won by two lengths. Yeah, she did. She was she was really good that day. Um we were a little bit apprehensive when the barrier drawers come out. We didn't know whether we drew the wrong side or the right side. Um, I mean, there's not many races in the world that you have 24 runners in a straight race. <laughs> so we, we were really going to be on the wrong side or the bad side because we weren't in the middle. And um, she just, I was lucky enough to lob just behind Magnus, which I knew she always, back in Australia, had the measure of. And Ollie gave him a great ride and he just, he just dragged me into the race at the right time. And, at the 200 metre mark, when I pushed going, the little man she just exploded. And I think she she ran a track record on the day, and yeah, it's um, yeah, very special. Now the Kingstown Stakes in 2007, when you were there, was only a Group Two, and that probably robbed you of the opportunity to meet Her Majesty. Yeah, bit disappointing. Bit disappointing that it was only at the time. Um, would have been, uh, I mean, there's not many people in the world that could say they've met her. Um, I did manage to say, say good day to her, but never officially formally met her. Um, but, yeah, looking back now, um, once again, I just, I, to be able to be in that position, to have that opportunity, um, some people some people dream their whole life of being able to do it. So to do it sort of in my mid-20s, um, yeah, very special. Lee Friedman made the big call to back her up only four days later in the Golden Jubilee Stakes, but the difference was this time it rained. Yeah, and uh, and one of the big turnaround. I mean, she went from running a track record to, um, to being beaten out of sight, um, but I knew... Like I, knew, I knew the first day once I'd gone sort of two, three hundred metres that I was the winner and four days later, by the time I'd gone two or three hundred metres, I knew I was in trouble. So um, unfortunately, that's just part of racing. That's just, just the way the, um, the apple falls. And um, she, uh, yeah, she was, she was disappointing. She had her excuses and they, uh, they put her on the plane and brought her home. And you got to win another Group 1 on her later, the Age Classic making a total yep. of five Group 1s. Craig, you speak with great reverence of a horse called Pompey Ruler. He and Miss Andretti gave you the Newmarket Australian Cup double in 2007. He also won a Queen Elizabeth Stakes at Randwick very late in his career. And back in 2006, he was beaten a nose and a head into third place in the Cox Plate. Now, I nearly dropped my phone the other day when you told me he's the best horse you've ever ridden, Pompey Ruler. Yeah, I think uh, out-and-out ability-wise, I, I, I don't think we ever got to see the best of him. Um, he always had his, his leg 
his leg issues. He had a really high knee extravagant action. Um, he always had sort of tendon and suspensory issues. Um, but I would say pound for pound ability wise, yes, he, he's he's the best I've ridden. Um, he was he was just a spirit, very special horse from day one. Um, well, did get beat a short half head in a in a cox plate. I think at about his ninth race start. So shows that some form of ability of what he had, mm. and yeah, he just. I think I think he held a very special place in in Mick's heart as well. Um, I mean, he, he was born an orphan. Um, the mayor the mayor died following. Um, so he always, from from day one, he always held a special place in everyone's heart. But um, he definitely had the engine to go with it. Mm-hmm. You lived through a traumatic experience at Caulfield. On the 28th of February 2009, you were riding light fantastic in the Futurity Stakes and not long before the race, you were very puzzled when called into the steward's room and the moment you walked in, you sensed something was horribly wrong. Yeah, I did, mate. Um, To this day and probably to the day I die, um, it's going to go down as the worst day of my life. Uh, I yeah, uh, I sort of yeah. Once I once I sort of got called into the steward's room, it would have been well, it would have been twenty minutes, half hour before mm. the running of a of a big group one. Who I I think he was either favourite or second favourite. Quite fantastic. From the moment I stepped in the door, and there was uh, there was two or three police officers in there. My mum was there. My sister was there. Um, yeah, I knew, and they they were in tears. Um, yeah, I knew something. Something terrible was going going down, and um, to be informed that my father had been killed in a car crash. Um, Goodness me! Yeah, just rocked me to my core, mate. It um, even to this day, like I think to the day I die, I'll never forget the the look on their faces. Um, and yeah, it was um, sort of in a state of shock at the time, and I had a number of people there saying that. Um, Rest of the day off and um, and sort of go and go and grieve, but um, mm. there's one thing my dad loved, and that was racing, and and that was the good horses racing. Yeah. Uh, I, you, I you knew old. you knew he would have wanted you to ride that horse. I was due to ride a good horse in a good race, and if there's one thing that um, that he loved, that was it. Um, so I sort of took a took a couple of deep breaths, uh, went and sat down in my corner. Mm. At the time, I, I used to sit beside Ollie, and um, something that that I'll be forever indebted into Ollie. He uh, he sat me down and put his arm around me and just um, mm. just talked me through it. Obviously, he's been in in not similar situation, but um, he, he knew he knew what I was going through. And, he did, um, Amy and Oliver. And um, yeah, I think I think without um, you know, may not have rode. Um, but yeah, uh, I went out and rode, and um, there wasn't a, there wasn't any racing gods with us that day. We went down a short half eighty run second, but um, we give him a good ride. And he had every hope, so that was the main thing. He was in front of stride from home, wasn't he? Yeah, he was in front of stride from home, and uh, Willow was down the outside. Nick and Hero, and uh, just blazed him right on the line. But um, yeah, it's a look. It, it's a it's a day that. Um, that I'll remember for the rest of my life. Just on five years ago, 
you forged a wonderful association with a crackerjack sprinter called Lankan Rupee, who retired with the brilliant record of 29 starts, 11 wins, 9 placings, 4.1 million in prize money. And Lankan Rupee and Craig Newitt combined to win five Group 1 races. In order, they were the Oakley Plate, the Newmarket, the TJ Smith, the Manicato and the Lightning Stakes, but the Manicato was your favourite win. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, he, he, was, he was a great horse. Um, early days, he, he was always a nice horse. You know, we thought it had good stakes class abilities. Whether we got to Group 1, we wasn't sure, but... I remember early in his career, he, as a colt, he was just he was just wanting to charge. And I remember riding him over nine fifty five, or he was in a nine fifty five metre race there one night at at Mooney Valley, just in a benchmark. It might have been a benchmark seven or something. And he got to about the four hundred metre, and he had, he, he half bolted on me. And <laughs> um, I thought, what's going on here? Anyway, he faded out of the race and ran about fourth or fifth, I think. And I remember saying to me. Nick that night, I said, there's, there's probably only one way we're going to fix this horse, and that's make him a little bit less of a man. So um, the yep. job was done, and he was gelded, and I think he might have won his next seven, including two or three group ones. He he was just another one that could just absorb pressure, just thrived on pressure, and uh, and uh, had a really good kick at it. And um, I remember we... We, we, he, his main goal was the Manicato and uh, we ran him in a couple of the lead-up runs and he just wasn't getting around Mooney Valley all that well because he was such a big striding horse. And mm. I remember at the time too, he was take, he, he used to go toe-to-toe with an old wall horse, Buffering. And um, every time I'd sit off Buffering, I just couldn't really win. And I remember getting to the Manicato that night and Nick said, where... We're going to lead. I want you to try and lead on him. Just gas him out. And, um, mm. If there's a, if there's one way we can beat Buffering, and that's that's just pure brutal speed and power. And mm. uh, I remember he'd come out like a rocket, and uh, had to work him for the first two or three hundred meters. But he finally crossed, and he would have only got a breather for maybe a hundred meters, I reckon, before the wave started to come and. Mm. When, when we hit the line, um, I think there was a short half head separating eight horses and um, the big horse had his head out when, when it counted. And, uh, I think the most exhilarating win I've ever been, ever been a part of. Mm, I know uh, you were wrapped in the experience and you still talk about it uh, with great affection. You've ridden several Group 1 winners in Sydney. You won a Queen Elizabeth Stakes on Pompey Ruler. You won a TJ Smith on Lankan Rupee and a Sydney Cup for a Sydney trainer, Jessica Beale for John O'Shea in 2010. That would have been a buzz. I've had a look at the photos of you coming back to scale, and you look delighted. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, Obviously, Melbourne being, being um, the major place that I was riding, it was, it's, it's nice to, was nice to get to those bigger carnivals interstate and, um, and, and to come out on top and... Johnny O'Shea, he he was a, he was a really good supporter of mine. Um, had a had a fair bit of success. Obviously, Sydney Tech being being the major one. Um, yeah, it was a really good day. 
And what of the Melbourne Cup? You've had eight or nine cracks with a fifth on Harris Tweed, your best result so far. That was behind shocking in 09. You weren't all that far away either, about four lengths. Yeah, no, I've, um, I've had quite a few rides. I've had nearly ten, eight or nine, maybe ten rides in, a, in the Melbourne Cup now, but I'm yet to ride one that's run the two-mile out strong, which is, I think, what you... You don't necessarily have to be on the best horse, I don't think. You've just got to have a, a genuine two-miler. And, um, I mean, especially now with the internationals coming, it's making it harder to get rides in. But being a natural lightweight, hopefully um, the dream's not over yet. And, uh, yeah, Harris Tweed, he, he was my best result. He, he, he'd he uh, run a really good race in the lead-up in the Caulfield Cup. And, look, he, he, he felt the winner. He looked the winner half up the running, but he just struggled to run the two-mile. Um but, uh, yeah, look, to, to be in the frame in amongst it, um, yeah, I like to think of it each year. There's only 24 jockeys in the world get to um, participate in it and to have done it on a number of occasions. Um, yeah, it's a great feather in the cap to have. Your nickname is Froggy and has been for a long, long time. Most people call you Froggy, in fact. I think we've got to blame your late dad for that, haven't we? Yeah, we do, mate. He, uh, he got it in primary school. Um, he did. I remember him telling this, yeah, I remember him telling me the story about how he got the name. Um, he was, uh, they were on a school camp in primary school and the bus was ready to leave and they couldn't find him. He was down in the creek plant catching uh, frogs. So that was where the name, he, he, that's where he got it from. And um, obviously when I started riding, um, I mean, I, I still remember the days when I was three, four, five years old walking around the stable. Used to hang out of his back pocket. Probably, I was probably more of a hindrance than anything. But uh, I just love being around him and, and around the stable. So it, um, yeah, look, I, I sort of inherited the name once I started riding, and um, yeah, it's 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 nice because it 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 sort of keeps me close to to yeah. to him. I thought that might be the case. If somebody yeah. calls you Craig, you tend to stare at them. <laughs> well, I look around and see they're talking. Yeah, I, can't, <laughs> yeah, I can't really. The only time I get called Craig now is when I'm in trouble. So, but, yeah, I, a lot of people call me. Most people call me. Yeah, it's something that I don't have an issue with at all. You're a multiple premiership winner with apprentices titles in Victoria and Tasmania and three Tasmanian Jockeys Premierships, and in one season you were the leading jockey nationally. You're only 34 and at the peak of your powers. What if an attractive offer came up next week or the week after to return to Melbourne? Yeah, look, something I'd definitely, um, definitely consider. Um, but at, at the moment, my... Um my four boys come first, and um, if they're, um, I'd have to have to uh, see what's in their best interest. I, I mean, I've been to Singapore, I've, I've travelled around a fair bit, so I've dragged them from here to there, and it'd be nice just to keep them stable. But um, if the right offer comes, um, you have to weigh everything up. But um, you never, never say never. You've had wonderful support from a host of Victorian trainers. <laughs> and Tasmanian horsemen as well. But there is one who stands alone in your mind, and I refer to Mick Price. Hasn't he been a Craig Newitt fan from the outset? 
Yeah, he has. He's he's been a uh, a big influence and a big uh, big helping hand on my career. Um, especially after that eighteen months that I did on the sidelines, he was. Uh, I remember at the time, my manager Johnny Nicholas. He was uh, he was trying he was trying so hard to get me rides when I first came back, but there was there was quite a few and. And rightly so, that were a little bit sceptical. They wanted to wait to see how I'd come back to see how I'd handled things. Um, but there was one guy that, that put his hand up straight away and, and put me on and put me on pretty much everything, um, and that was Mick. And, and that's something that I'll, I'll be forever indebted to. Um, he, he got my career back on track pretty much single-handedly. Um, and then once I, once I was up and going... Than uh, than everyone else followed suit, but um, he was one that that uh, never held a grudge, and um, yeah, I got to I got to thank him for a huge part of my career. You know, it's the age of the senior jockey at the moment. Michael Carl is riding in career best form in Brisbane at age fifty five. Glenn Boss won the Epsom at Randwick the other day. He's fifty, and Jeff Lloyd has only recently retired after winning four Brisbane Jockeys Premierships and he was eight, 57 when he finished as recently as last July. Do you see yourself riding into the veteran stage? Uh, yeah, I think I can. I think I can. I think it all depends on how your body's holding up and, and what injuries you've had. And uh, as I sit here at the table touching wood, um, I, I'm a natural lightweight, so wasting has never been an issue. So physically, my body's in great shape. Um, I've had quite a few falls, but come, walked away from every one of them. Um, I've had no broken limbs, so I think I can. I think, I think, I think at, at this stage, I'd say, yeah, I, I think I can be riding into my fifties. Um, and it also probably depends on what you're riding too. Like if your form drops off and you're not getting your rides and you probably don't want to be going around, but if you're riding in in the form that those guys were, um, yeah, I think I think I would for sure. Well, it's been a delight having you on the podcast, Froggy. You don't mind my calling you Froggy, do you? Not at all, mate. <laughs> it's been a long overdue chat, and the moment I spotted you in Kalgoorlie nine or ten days ago, I thought, gee, there's a bloke I should be having a chat with. And uh, we made it happen. I've enjoyed it immensely, Craig Newitt. Thanks for your time. Absolute privilege, Johnny. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. Supernova Sound.